everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 344 being recorded on, oh crap, uh, April the 8th, 2015. Can't actually hold up a number behind the camera for me. Uh, I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malentano. And uh, we've got, we don't have a whole lot of stuff on the agenda today, but we never seem to find ways to talk fast about anything, so I'm sure we'll ramble on about some crap for a while. Uh, But this is uh, the show from PC Perspective. We talk about computer hardware and associated items. Uh, We do record the show on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That really confuses me because I just said it backwards how I always say it. Uh, but those were the correct times and time zones. If you have a different time zone than that, I'm sorry. My mind only functions on two possible time zones at any given time. But we do have a countdown timer on the right-hand side of the site. Or if you want another reminder, you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe. You'll get this web page here. asks for your name, your email address. And all we do is send you emails when we're about to do live events. Sometimes that's podcasts. Actually, most of the times that's podcasts. Uh, sometimes we do other special events like we did um, the uh, Intel SSD live stream. Uh, was that last week? Mm-hmm. Week before, Was it last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It was the day after the podcast where we had uh, uh, Bren and Kay on from Intel to talk about the 750 series SSDs. And then we also gave away six SSDs on that live stream. So if you did not know about that live stream, you're dummy. And you should rectify that by making sure you never miss any more live events by going to pcpro.com slash subscribe and signing up for that mailing list. Seriously, though, that's all we use it for. Seriously. Serious, but let's move on and actually talk about that product that uh, launched la- late last week, the Intel SSD seven hundred and fifty series. Alan wrote up this review uh, of the one point two terabyte PCI Express NVMe SSD. Uh, I know what PCI Express is. Alan, tell me what NVMe is again. Non volatile memory express. Express, express, correct. not extensions. Some people say extensions. No, like some Ryan. people like us. Well, I said it, and then you said yes. So well, by that, by extension, that means you said it. You were so convincing. Well. Uh, that's that's yes. I do. <laughs> I'm very good at that. That's correct. So, what is this SSD, and why do we care? Uh, so it's an 18-channel, uh, formerly enterprise-only PCIe, very very quick solid-state drive. Like, so this is a new controller, different than what we've seen in Intel's SATA SSDs. Yes, totally different. Um, they engineered this. This is the same controller that was in the previously tested uh, P3700 series. Okay. So it's the same part, uh, very much the same thing like when they came out with the uh, SSD730 yep. series. Not the 750, but the 730, which was SATA. Uh, that was just an overclocked version of their enterprise part. Mm-hmm. Basically the same part, just consumer-grade flash memory, same controller, though. Um, and they turned, you know, kind of tweaked some dials a little bit to make it even a little bit quicker because they could for a consumer, um, just consumer use. Uh, they didn't do overclocking so much for this guy, uh, for the 750, but they basically just took the P3500, as far as we understand, like that layout of that PCB, and they have uh, did some tweaking in their firmware to, to make some things a little bit more consumer-friendly, Um it's still kind of optimized for 4K workloads, more kind of like enterprise-y stuff as far as that goes. But they turned off some of the things like um, Intel's enterprise series parts will intentionally brick themselves if they think that they're passing bad data. 
because in an enterprise environment, like if you have a raid full of something, you don't want to try to troubleshoot what gave me bad data. Like you want that device to just, you know, stop doing what it's doing so that you can just fix it, like replace it, basically. Uh, not so much for consumers, right? You don't want your SSD to just break itself if it's a consumer drive. Uh, so, you know, they kind of disabled those features and made them more gotcha. consumer friendly. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's not just a direct, you know, take one right off of the enterprise line and stick a 750 sticker on it and, and ship it. It's not that easy. So um, we, we got two different versions of it. This picture here is of the, I think, more common one that we'll see. This is the, the PCI Express 3.0 by 4 connection. So it's basically just an add-in card that you install on your system, even though this picture here shows it with the half-height um, uh, backplate. It comes with a full-height backplate. Yep. As well, uh, it'll probably it'll probably ship the other way around. It'll probably ship with the full which height would make plate. sense. Yeah, and yeah. then you, they, I'm not sure if they're going to put the half height plate in the box, but yeah, I imagine they, they probably would. Now, this picture here is interesting because we see that PC Express version here. There's this other one as well. Uh, this is also an SSD 750 series, 1.2 terabyte, but it's still using PCI Express. What form factor are we looking at here? It is. Uh, that is a two and a half inch, I believe, 15 millimeter thick form factor so it's kind of it's thicker than you know you're used to seeing right it's yeah. a, it's almost a stack of three seven millimeter ssds you know as far as thickness goes if you wanted to compare it to something uh, tangible there for yourself uh so it is it is much thicker than a regular ssd you're used to but there's a lot more in there right uh they, they've basically taken all of the contents all of the hardware that's on that pci express half height card and kind of folded it over itself and made a taco out of it and stuck it into that, in, into that enclosure. Um, and the connectivity is not SATA, which is what you might think just looking at it, because mm-hmm. that plug kind of looks like a SATA plug. It's not, and it's not even uh, uh, like one of the uh, two dual-channel SAS form factors either. It's even further extended than that. It's called um, SF, uh, SFF8639. It's kind of a mouthful. It's small form factor, 8639. They haven't come up with a snazzy name for it for some reason. Just nobody in the industry has. That's what it's been stuck with since that came out in Enterprise. Um, but that connector also has four lanes of PCI Express on it. Uh, and that will support 3.0 speeds over a cable. Um, and you'll notice if you look back at that other picture where all that stuff is just kind of laid out, um, Intel kind of ad- adopted some other standards uh, to do this because you would normally use a cable like that um, similar, maybe not exactly the same, to connect uh, SAS, like high-end SAS RAID cards. Use that kind of connector that's on the screen right there, which is actually a small form factor 8643 connector, yet another number. Right. This is all that's, going well, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, that's referred to as mini SAS HD. That's another name for oh, it. Oh, high definition. It, so that's the only way you can get high definition. Uh, I think they, they mean high density. Oh, right? it's, it's oh. like it's, it's a lot sure of that channels. Doesn't make uh, MP3 sound better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I is guess. Monster selling one of these cables? Yeah, I know. It's 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 a little bit complicated, but I think they're as, as far they're doing. If you what explain they can, it slow. Enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're basically doing what they can with what they have, right? They're like, well, all so right, what, well, what's this other part here, right? So that that's the connector, but it's it, we're, we're getting PCI Express over that cable. Yes. What is this part here? Somehow we want to get that to something more tangible because while Intel hopes that motherboard manufacturers might put this kind of special plug right onto a motherboard, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So for the moment, they worked with Asus and they came up with this thing called a HyperKit, which just adapts from that 
mini SAS HD style connector and just electrically takes those four lanes of PCIe and connects them to where they would connect on an M.2 SSD. Right. So, so this, this is an this is an add-in card for an M.2 slot, PCI Express M.2 slot that basically converts it to this cable factor, this cable format that yep. then allows you to connect it to this SSD. Yes. Here. So. Gotcha. And for it's, for it edification, seems... that comes with that that hyperkit only ships with the uh, Sabertooth X99 motherboard that just was released last week, I guess, and announced. Quote, Correct. Unquote, and, only yeah, and, and only works with that motherboard. Yeah, and only works with that motherboard currently. Well, currently. We've tried a couple of other boards that have M.2 PCIe slots that we know have M.2 PCIe, and the adapter did not work in that case. So yeah. not really sure what the issue is there, but I'm sure they'll teach us more. And then there was this, also this red card as well that is probably not for consumers to really want to go buy. That is not for consumers. Uh, SerialCables.com makes an adapter that just goes from SFF8639 and just because we know it's PCIe by four and just takes that connector and just kind of interposes it just on one little extension gotcha. card thing and adapts it to PCIe, regular PCIe slot, basically making it into the same thing as just the add-in card, hmm. right? Like it's electrically the same thing once it's plugged into that adapter. Gotcha. Um, we, got one, we got one sample to us just to kind of make our testing easier in case something happened with you know, with that hyperkit or if something didn't work, at least we had that on standby. And we did try it. We plugged it in and it basically, you know, looks and acts just as if it was the add-in card. It's just in a different packaging, basically, right? Um, and uh, that adapter is expensive because, you know, it's like a brand new kind of thing. And the company just had just developed that card basically right. like not too long ago. Uh, they already have one that's like even a cheaper model. I think I added a note to that article maybe. Um, yeah, and it's like half the price. And it has a fan built in to keep the device cool because if you plug a 22 watt rated part, which is what this is, into a you know into a PC that doesn't have that much airflow, you might want to kind of give it some airflow, right? So what are the what are the specifications of uh, the 750 series in general? Right? What are we expecting to see before we look at, at benchmarks? Right? It looks like on this table you have here on the first page. Um, the 400 gig models rated like 2,200 megabytes per second, and the 1.2 terabytes 2,400. Which can you know for those of you who don't do math so great, Josh, that's uh, 2.4 yeah. gigabytes per second rated. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the rating. And Intel tends to uh, underestimate on their ratings, right? Yep. They're going to go for worst case stuff. So we were testing this, and we saw 2.6 gig per second. Uh, so that's nice, extra couple hundred meg per second, like a, an extra half of a regular SATA SSD, extra. Of speed, <laughs> yeah. On on top of uh, the rating, right? Um, so the specs are pretty good, even for the lower capacity model. Uh, typically, you know, if you cut to a third of the capacity, in in regular SATA SSD terms, even usually there's just not enough dies there uh, to distribute all that um, I/O across, and you kind of get a big cut in the in the write speed and like the random I/O. Uh, there is a cut, but it's it's not nearly as significant because their smallest capacity is still 400 gig, right? It's still 400 gig worth of flash. So that's a pretty decent number of dies to spread load across. Um, and this controller can do it across 18 at the same time. Regular SATA SSDs are like four or eight channel controllers. This is an 18 channel controller. That's why you end up with crazy high random IOs, like 440,000 4K random reads, which is just insane. 
like when you think about it, because regular SATA devices, they're lucky to push 50,000, maybe 100,000. And if they do push 100,000, they can't really do it for that long. Um, hmm. This one can do that as long as you're doing it to like a consumer type of a span, like typically like a consumer test only does that to like a, an 8 gig section of the drive. So if you're only really hitting uh, at just a, like a relatively small section of this drive with really heavy random I.O., it'll do it all day long at like for random writes like around 300,000 I.O.s per second, um, which you do that to a regular SSD, again, you're lucky to get 50, and this is doing 300,000. So as far as sequentials, you're talking like three to four times, maybe even five times a SATA SSD, it's kind of the same thing for random I.O. Uh, so it's basically, you know, really, really stinking fast, right? right? That's, uh, and it's able to do that partially because it's using NVMe, which is a new method of talking to an SSD, uh, AHCI is an old standard. It had some kind of CPU overhead with it. This uses NVMe, much lower latency standard, much lower overhead standard. Every time you request something from an SSD using this protocol, it's just much more efficient, and the CPU doesn't have to spin its wheels as much. Um, so that kind of leaves you know more room to be able to push it that fast. And at the same time, while it's going that fast, it's not loading down the rest of the cores in your system tr- just trying to handle all that I.O. in the first place with, with, you know, through the kernel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's good. Uh, it's and in a lot of ways, it gets to the point where everything else becomes the bottleneck, right? It, like this is no longer the bottleneck. We're used to testing SATA devices where SATA is oh, it's maxing out 550 meg per second. Oh, it's maxing out this many IOs per second. It's going that fast because SATA is just going as fast as it can. Doesn't even matter how fast the controller is. Like once you hit a certain point, right? You just only so many IOs can go over the bus. The bus is only so fast. Um, this kind of just removes all that, right? Uh, it all just kind of goes away, and the bottleneck suddenly shifts to everything else in your system, pretty much. Yeah. So here's a couple of pictures of the uh, of the inside. Like, there's the add-in card there, uh, and then taking apart the uh, small form factor version. The, the taco PCB? The taco PCB. It is. Yeah, yeah it folds see, over you itself. Here you've got this kind of flexible um, interconnect between the two PCBs that folds in half. Uh, there, so but I mean, it, it's electrically identical. Yeah, it shows up as the same device. It's benchmarks the same. It's it's basically the same part, just kind of arranged differently. Right. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about performance here, but uh, I'll, I'll scroll through these these pages real quick. Um, you know, you can see the SSD 750 here at the top. Uh, some of these results, you know, are, go- are going to vary in terms of uh, where they're hitting peak. But you know, note, you know, how much higher the 750 Intel drive is above like the Kingston HyperX or the Samsung XP941, both of which are PCI Express, but not NVMe PCI Express drives. Um, File creation speeds, pretty fast. Although it did uh, the thousand one megabyte files, the the many, many small one megabyte files, it was actually slower than we expected. Um, Looks like some of the like the Samsung XP941 was faster, and some of the S- uh, SATA SSDs were actually a little bit mm-hmm. faster, too. They were, and that just comes from, uh, this is very optimized for 4K and larger random I.O. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of carries over from their enterprise line. That's what they optimize for in enterprise. Uh, 730 was actually had the same kind of susceptible thing. Whenever you hit it with a small I.O. smaller than 4K, and granted, we were writing one megabyte files, but every one of those files comes with changes to the directory structure, like changes to the master file table, right? Those changes are not necessarily 
4K aligned or 4K or larger rights, they might be smaller. Um, so that just kind of, you know, takes a little bit of extra time on this line of SSDs when you're doing stuff that's that small. Um, chances are, if you're playing games off of this thing or you're doing things where it's data stored on it, you're not necessarily doing a bunch of very small file like writes, like very, very tiny ones where you're writing, you know, thousands of files per second, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so you, you probably wouldn't notice it, but it is definitely something where this SSD has a weak spot to it. Uh, if we looked at something like sequential reads, you can see here this white line along the top, well over, you know, over 2.5 gigabytes per second. And uh -huh. compare that to the next fastest drive, like the G-Skill uh, Phoenix Blade, which is also a PCI Express, but non-NVMe drive, um, most of the time under 2 gigs per second. So significant advantage there. Sequential writes kind of flips. Uh, uh -huh. The Intel drives like about 1250 or so. Um, there. That's actually there's, there's actually a couple reasons for that. So that uh, that G Scale Phoenix Blade is a RAID of four SSDs, and I'm pretty sure those are sand forces, which do compression, and that test is compressible gotcha. data that gets written. So sand forces in reality probably wouldn't write that fast, sustained. Um, it just they kind of cheat when it comes to a test like that. Now you look at random performance. This is where some of the stuff looks really interesting, such as iometer. Mm -hmm. uh, where you see the SSD <laughs> 750, this white line up top kind of just runs past everything else. Like if you, yeah. you know, think down here, these these bottom lines are all SATA SSDs. This poor purple line at the bottom is a hard drive. It's a Velociraptor one terabyte. That hard used to drive. be a quick drive. It used to be super fast. Um, yeah. So it ramps up pretty quick and it stays higher than all the other PCIe options there. And again, you know, there's a, a different workload under the web server. Yeah. And, I, and I even, server. I even. I even tried to make things a little bit more competitive, and I threw in a RAID 0 of a pair of uh, Samsung 840s, which you know a lot of people are running, and that's the dark blue line, which and there is kind of in the middle of the pack. But if you go more towards the benchmarks at the top, um, now I keep going up. It, it was like, it's kind of hanging in there, right? It's reasonably quick, obviously about twice as fast as any single SATA right. device. Um, but still, you know, just can't really keep up to things like the the phoenix blade and stuff yeah. like that but the the even more significant thing about looking at that chart right there is uh phoenix blade is a rate of four ssds it's super super fast at the high end right it's like the second fastest all the way at the high q depths in that test but it takes so long to get there right sure. uh and it starts at the bottom as far as yep. ios at q depth of one so that means that it takes the longest to respond to any single one request Right. Once you pile a whole bunch on, then it can ramp up and actually stretch its legs. Whereas with NVMe and with so many channels in parallel, the latency is so low it, with just a single request that it, it, at, at, at the very bottom where you're pointing there, it starts like twice as high as other PCIe solutions on that chart. Hmm. Right. And then it can even ramp up. You know, the, the number of channels is what lets it really ramp up. And that line is almost vertical for a good chunk of that test. Um, that's just because it's populating more and more channels simultaneously, like especially that one. That one's like a cliff, right? I mean, it just like climbs straight up. And that one actually, uh, those two that you just scrolled through, that top end there is us pegging our test. Um, so our test saturates one core of a CPU completely, and that's even an overclocked one of that, saturates it at a little bit over 200,000 IOs per second, and that's where the flat line is. Like it's just, our test just couldn't go that far. Mm. Um, so yeah, 
Um, and it's just, you know, it just it starts it starts breaking stuff when you have something that fast. And then the, your response times, you can see every single one of them. The white line is the lowest on that chart. It's taken the least amount of time to service any request compared to anything, even like the, what we thought was like you know the fastest uh, SATA SSDs. The Samsung 850 Pro is the orange line on that chart. Still taking twice as long as uh, you know as this NVMe product, as well as every other PCI SSD on there. What's going on with that G skill? What you mean? Why is it so bad? Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's a RAID controller which doesn't. It's supposed to be a little, relatively low latency, but it does have to make a hop through it. Uh, and then it's Sandforce. Sandforce controllers are notorious for having a very long pipeline. In other words, the commands have to take multiple like clocks to get a, from one end of the controller to the other to where it actually accesses the data. Um, so that's mm-hmm. kind of a combination of two things that makes it the most latent. That's that's why it starts so low when you look back gotcha. up at the at the iOS per second. It's kind of an, an inverse um, relationship there between those two charts. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very 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 interesting. Uh, and now we get to, you know, should you buy one and what do you weigh in there if you're trying to buy one, right? Um, and the pricing worked out to, I know I did the math here, uh, 86 cents a gig for 1.2 terabytes. So it's still over a thousand bucks. Um, 97 cents a gig for 400 gig. So it's the smallest capacity model. There's only two, right? It's the smaller one. You're still paying for the controller. You're still paying for all that hardware, the PCBs, like all that stuff, right? So it's you know you kind of you kind of lose some on the on the on the cost per gig there. You're you're paying a little bit more of a premium for the smaller capacity. Um, and it includes AMD's tiers for free. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, Ken tested Ken tested this and it did work on an AMD board. We um, actually got it to boot. Josh on a uh, A88X Pro motherboard with an A107850K. Nice. It showed up as a PATA device. P-A-T-A. People <laughs> who don't know. What well, that I mean, is. it really is extremely parallel. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's, it is technically parallel. It's not ATA, but I don't. It just showed up as PATA device. Like no naming, no. nothing. The but, SSD only costs three times more than the system itself. That's that's but. true. That's true, but it did boot. But how did it perform on the AMD? It it went it it took longer to ramp up, but it did because that chipset has PCI Express 3.0. Yeah, it was able to get up yeah. to the full 2.6 gigabyte per second that we saw on other platforms. It just because the single CPU core is slower than obviously our our, our storage test bed. It, it's it's not quite as responsive. It's still better yeah. than anything else. Um, yeah, like you get you get your latency is a little bit worse just because. It has to get through the kernel, right? That's like when you're when the iOS per second are so high, uh, and and the latency is so low of the device itself. You start measuring latency of the rest of the system, right? right. And like per I/O latency and and clock speeds start coming into play and stuff like that. Yeah. So something like this is very sensitive to clock speed when you are trying to do small random access because the system starts being more of a bottleneck right. than the SSD itself. So, so we, our biggest complaint here is that we don't have a middle tier. SSD like capacity option, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no 800 gig model, and uh, that's really disappointing, right? Uh, because you have a 400 gig model. This is obviously a power user type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone that's going to buy one of these is probably going to put it in a system and have a whole bunch of games on it or a whole bunch of something on it, uh, and they want to be able to boot from it too. I would imagine, because um, 
and 400 gig might, might, might not be enough to cut it, but at the same time, uh, have to spend, having to spend over $1,000 on just the SSD, just your storage, uh, that's kind of a little too far, right? Uh, the person might spend something like 700 bucks on what that would be the pricing if there were an 800 gig model, it would be around 700 bucks. That wouldn't be too hard of a pill to swallow for 800 gig that, that goes this fast. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, you're, you're forcing them to go 1.2 terabytes when they might not necessarily need it. Now, they, you know, some people might be like, I don't care. I want 1.2 terabytes anyway. That's fine. But I think the majority of people are kind of going to, you know, look at that price and go, wow, it's more than $1,000. Well, like that's I, that's a know, big I think number. it's obvious that Intel looked at the market and said, you know what, this is the sweet spot for the Skyrim modern. <laughs> <laughs> they need that entire 1.2 terabyte for everything that they're running, and they need it to load at 2.4. Well, I, I, do have, I do have a working theory, and that is that I believe that since I think this model was kind of born off of the, the, the drawing board of the P3500 series, which did not have an 800 gig model. So when they figured out how they're going to lay out dies for that particular, you know, skew range. That doesn't said, seem right, like well, that much work. It, says, it seems it like probably, it, seems it probably like isn't. They, with their multi billions of dollars, spinning a PCB is. Much simpler than the other design and firmware work that they're doing. I would think so. Hell, I've done. Well, it, it wouldn't take a different PCB though. Yeah, that's the thing. It's you know, it's it would take different firmware work, different layout. Like, how are you going to lay out the dies? Well, there, the, there you go, making me look bad again. <laughs> well, no, no, not I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's really hard to do because this this same PCB is shared across those three models now, four models. Um, they just, you know, they might not populate all of the all of the die package, like the, the BGAs, they might not populate all of them. Actually, this one has two that were not mounted, um, whereas the P3700 had 18 on one side, eight, or 18, 18 plus 18 total. They kind of staggered them like there was like one side had one extra and one side had one fewer. Um, but, you know, there was 18 channels, and each one was talking to two packages worth of flash chips, basically, right? right. Not the case on this. So clearly they had to do some kind of staggering, and maybe that maybe they just said, well, you know, Here's what we got on the P3500. We'll just carry this over. We'll make these changes. A lot of the other work they had to do was to get all of these motherboard manufacturers to try to come on board and commit. Like, we will test our board with this NVMe product and make sure it boots because that is a tricky thing as well, as Ken learned when he was trying to boot this in a whole bunch of systems and, uh, that he was doing over the past couple of days. A lot right? of motherboards. Yeah. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll talk more about that next week, but it's it's interesting to note that Intel specifically says they're only supporting Z97 and X99 today for this product. And, yep. and they're saying supporting because they want to be able to validate uh, not just that it will run as a secondary device, which seems to be pretty easy, but that it will boot, that the UEFI and BIOS will see everything correctly, uh, load the NVMe driver off of it correctly. And, you know, just have, like, a good out-of-box user experience. So I know I've seen MSI and Gigabyte and Asus kind of announce and talk about uh, updates to their BIOS that support these, this capability. Uh, I haven't seen anything from, like, EVGA or ASRock yet, but uh, I expect that we'll see that if this is a big push for Intel. Intel kind of makes things happen when they decide they want to make things happen. Uh, and, and I think you could rest assured that the next generation chipset, whatever it happens to be, will automatically kind of have all this stuff as, as part of the, uh, as part of the package. So, uh, I, I would go to, go to pcbar.com, check out the four of you, see more of Alan's benchmarks and stuff. 
on this. Go into the comments, leave your remark that you want or don't want an 800 gig version because I know for a fact that uh, Intel is paying attention to that stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so clearly, kind of our new uh, favorite SSD for performance. Not the most cost efficient. You know, most people have pointed out, hey, you can pick up a 500 gig 850 Evo for $189 today. Yeah. So you can get two of those for like 370 bucks. I'm sorry, is that right? Yeah, 370 dollars or so. Uh, getting and it, it, one and terabyte be, of storage. It won't be as fast as this, but it's you know still decent. Decent performing SSD, yeah. right? Um, I, I think we're impressed with the with the cost per gig kind of initially with 750, but we still see that every time there's more competition, everybody else is going to move down a little bit, and so you know, I, I'm a little worried that 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 they won't do that. Like they never really did that with the 730 series, though. Either they never no no they not never really lowered prices to kind of remain competitive with the 840s or 850s when those came out. Um, they used to do it back in the day with like the X twenty five MG two, and then the you know they were they were stuff. Well, they were doing that kind of undercutting the market a couple of times back then, but they yeah. haven't really done it recently. And this is, I mean, this is kind of that, but it's not right because sure. it's, it's the performance is so much higher. Uh, honestly, for the performance, that is a deal, right? Like that price is a deal, uh, less than a dollar a gig for something that's five six times faster than anything else out there. I mean, it's, I mean, think about it. It's like you, you don't often see that, right? You don't often right. see five times the performance for even, say, even say twice the cost, right? You're getting five times more for twice the cost. It, but it, the, 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 conversely, it's so fast that you really have to have the brand new everything uh, to take true advantage of it and actually notice it. If you put this in, you put this in the system, even if you could get it to boot, unlike that, that older AMD system, the system is obviously the bottleneck a lot more often than the SSD is, so it wouldn't even benefit you. All right. Well, we talked about this damn SSD for too long. Oh, by the way, we did also do a live stream on it on <laughs> launch day as well, uh, which which is where we gave away we gave away two Intel 530 SSDs, two Intel 730 series SSDs, two uh, 750 series SSDs. Actually, uh, on the live stream uh, with Bryn and Kay with us on that. That was pretty fun. If you missed it, uh, you can't win any of the prizes, obviously, but there was a pretty good history of storage uh, ramp, some analogies about how Flash works. So if you're looking for something on the educational side, you can still go find that. title of it on the site is uh, Intel SSD Livestream and Giveaway, uh, and you can find the video on our YouTube channel as well. But uh, thanks out to Intel for doing that. I think it was uh, fun, informative, and anytime you can give crap away, that's always a plus, too. I'll uh, move on to a couple of other quick things we'll run through. Uh, who else we have here? We've got the – oh, Sebastian posted a review of the NZXT S340 case. This is a, um, a mid-tower enclosure, as he titles it here, premium meets affordable. It's a $70 case, uh, which definitely puts it in an incredibly crowded market. Um, and you always put it – R9-290X Lightning in your $70 case. But uh, NZXT has, I think, done a very good job in the past couple of years of making high-quality you know, chassis that look good. They kind of shift the mold some. Uh, you can get sweet macro shots of them here like Sebastian took uh, with his fancy camera as well. Uh, you know, Specification-wise, it's full-size ATX, micro and mini, 
seven expansion slots. Uh, it's got, let's see, two plus one, three and a half inch bays, two, two and a half inch bays. Looks like no, another case with no five and a quarter inch bays. Be gone, optical drives. <laughs> Be gone forever. Um, I like that the box looks like the case. This, I think, is pretty fun. This is the outside of the box, and it's kind of showing you, like, hey, it's got a window. Steal me. Well, yeah, sure, <laughs> so, why not? So what you're saying is you don't need the case. You can just take the box. Just take the box, cut, oh, yeah. cut a in hole. It. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, just yeah. Stick, your, stick your stuff in it. Yeah. Sure. This seems, this seems okay. reasonable. Uh, wind, windowed side panel is standard. Um, you can see here you've got bottom mount power supply. I like... I'm coming around more on the white cases. I still think these are, are, are really what's interesting. But it's got – look at the top of it I think actually adds to it with the contrast of the black kind of plastic top with your fan location here. Obviously, you can use a uh, – install a water cooler. If you do that instead, you've got USB 3 up top, standard audio input, output, hard drive lights. Um, and that's a fan filter that slides up and down. Oh, is it? Yep. Yeah, that's good. Easy to get to, easy to remove. Um, you've also got a fan filter on the bottom for the power, uh, the power supply. Not so easy to remove. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, that looks really difficult to remove. Yeah, yep. like you almost oh, have, have to, like, to turn the case up, over to do flex that. Flex it up on one side. And yeah, that's, yes, you would. That's that's huh. not ideal. Wonder why but then again, the uh, dust is not going to spread anywhere with that PSU because if you turn to the next page, there's actually a fully separated uh, enclosure for it. For the power supply itself. Yeah. So let me bottom. scroll down here and find that. Uh, this thing? Nope, that's the mounting bracket. That's the yeah, thumb screw. Where, wait. Oh, oh maybe it's one more page. Man, now I'm skipping through stuff. Um, oh, there okay, you there you go. I see it. So, the yeah, the power supply section is totally enclosed. It may be made out of cardboard, but it's only 70 bucks. <laughs> no, no, that's not, the, that's not the picture on the side anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Look at that sweet angled motherboard cutout. I do like the angled motherboard cutout here. I like the raised uh, silver part here. Maybe that's white. It's hard for me to tell. The uh, That allows you to kind of uh, get the cables, feed the cables through, make it a nice clean build. Um, it does have some kind of the cheaper thumb screws, but they are ones that you don't fall out, so you can't lose them, Josh, which is good news for you. Yeah. Another fan filter up here. Uh, or is that the actual same part? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's the front fan filter. Look at this. Look at these macro shots. Man, it's so artsy. But Should that's I... a nice design. I don't remember seeing a fan that just pulls out that freely from the top of the uh, case before. No, you're right. Uh, especially on the front. Usually you have to remove a door or yep. you know pop something out in that way. Yeah. Uh, I've seen this, ty- this style of uh, power supply mount before where you kind of you latch the plate onto it, slide the plate back in with the power supply. You've got two and a half inch... Two two and a half inch drive mounts on the bottom of it. There, there's a little bit of ventilation. It looks like in the compartment to, here for between the power supply section and the uh, the main component section, which is nice. Um, and it's got slide out trays for that stuff. Still got room for some three and a half inch drives, uh, but no dumb, stupid optical drives. You know, this isn't going to work for me because <clears throat> I still have not ripped my entire CD collection. Then you don't like that music enough. It's time to move on in life. It could just be I'm lazy. Well, that, that I mean, sure, yeah. Are, are you putting yeah. CDs in to listen to them? Yes. On purpose? What? But you, Sometimes I like to go back to 1999. It was a better time for me. You, use, you put CDs in for audio purposes? Yeah. 
What do they sound? You can like? still do that. Actually, they they <laughs> still sound pretty good. No, I can't do that. I don't have an optical drive in any computer I use. That's true. And this case won't even let me install one. Uh, here is a a shot with the build uh, that Sebastian put in. Looks clean. Looks neat. I like you know. Cable. Look at all those cables. Cables are routed correctly. Um, and he's able to mount the dual fan self-contained water cooler on the back while still maintaining the exhaust fan up top, which is nice. And here you can kind of see this one This one run always bothers me, right? The one from the power supply that's going to the 8-pin connector, it's always off by itself. Um, power supply companies should either start including extensions or case manufacturers should so you can like kind of route it neatly like with the other things. I don't know. It just looks kind of dumb kind of crossing directly through the CPU backplate cutout. Um, in terms of performance, it was kind of right in the middle of the pack, basically on uh, on par with the RV05 and FT05 in their low fan settings, it appears. Pretty close there. Noise levels, again, kind of in the middle. Actually, really good, based on this graph, depending on uh, your GPU use there. So a pretty good little case, high quality parts, excellent fit and finish, roomy interior, effortless build, good cable management. Removable screens for front and PSU fans, although the power supply fan was not ideal removability. Um, but no trays for the hard drive 3.5-inch mount, so you're kind of on your own there. Permanent fixtures, if you will. But for 70 bucks, it's hard to complain. Sebastian did give it an editor's choice. So if you want to see more fantastic macro photography of the uh, NZXT S340, check out that review from Sebastian. And then we also have a short one here uh, from Alan looking at... Uh, IC Doc Tough Armor something something something, and IC Bento something something something. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read off these model num- numbers. Their, their model numbers are kind of confusing, but uh, they're not just confusing. They're just useless. But. Yeah. So there's a Tough Armor. There the Tough Armor is actually a series of theirs. They have different products that are just kind of like more beefy construction. Um, you know, like if it has hot swap trays, like the, they're all metal, like including the little front door and stuff. They're not plastic. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of a cool idea. They're they're built. You know, as the name implies, they're pretty tough, pretty durable. So the, the Tough Armor MB996SP-6SB is a, so that's a six, two and a half inch drive housing thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a five and a quarter inch bay One. drive that you put in. You put that unit in. You can hook up six SATA uh, cables to the back of it uh, and a power cable. So it comes with... Um, uh, the plugs on the back of the unit are Molex, but it comes with a SATA. To, it comes with a pair of SATA to Molex adapters. We just didn't have them in our box for the review, but the company reached back to me and said, "Hey, we, they're normally in the box. We just, you know, your unit came from like a tech, and they just forgot to throw the cables in the box." Gotcha. Um, so uh, the rear fan, if you're familiar with these, because I've been using some form of this kind of an enclosure over the years, uh, the I fans can hear used the to be in layers right now. Well, the fan used to be like the one U rack mount chassis style fan that's like spins at like twenty thousand RPM or something and just drives you crazy, right? Nice. Um, these totally not the same fan. Um, really high quality fan, quiet, and it's on a controller uh, of some sorts where you have a switch in the back of it. You can have the fan off if you're just going to have SSDs in there. Obviously, it's made out of metal. And the whole the whole enclosure is made out of metal, so it can wick away pretty much any heat from you know any normal. SSDs you might put in there, two and a half inch style. Um, so if you're doing that, you can just have the you know the fans off. If you're doing <clears throat> like um, kind of like higher grade uh, two and a half inch 
uh, like enterprise style hard drives, then you need the fan running, right? But for anybody with SSDs, just turn the thing off. Um, and, uh, you know, built real well, and it just passes the SATA straight through, and it just makes it really easy to mount SATA devices in, in your case. If you have, you know, most motherboards, especially Intel motherboards, they have a, a nice round set of six SATA ports on them that all are tied to the same RAID controller and, you know, all the same chipset controller. It's very handy. It's a nice round number. Applies to this as well. You know, works just fine. There's really nothing to go wrong with it. And we didn't even really need to do speed testing of it because it's just, it literally is just carry the SATA cables direct through this backplane to, to the SSD that's installed. So it will go just as fast as, a, as if the drive was in your system, right? Um, yeah, pretty good. Uh, okay. Uh, what was, what was the IC Bento? Is it lunchtime? Uh, yeah, I don't know. They, I don't know what the naming is a little bit weird, but, uh, this one is a three and a half inch external enclosure, uh, USB 3.0. It basically goes just as fast as whatever hard drive you put in there. Um, I even put like a, I even put like a SATA SSD. I think I plugged in this one and saw how fast it went then. And it did like, you know, upwards of 450 meg per second, um, handled a six terabyte drive. No problem. Um, and uh, has these little retractable feet. It was kind of weird. Has a little button on the back of it. Uh, if you scroll up a little bit, we had a few pictures in there where there's you hit this button, and what looks like just kind of like plastic tabs on on the device kind of flip out, um, and then they double as feet, which is handy because every like like I've had some of these enclosures before, and uh, they usually come with like a little plastic bracket or just something to kind of like cup the the unit into and so mm -hmm. like it's an extra part that you have so if you ever wanted to travel with any other you know external three and a half inch enclosure i've ever seen uh it's just a part that you end up leaving on your desk and then you get to like the hotel or whatever you want to set the thing up you're there's no feet to put on it anymore you're just kind of like sitting it you know somewhere flat hopefully so it doesn't tip over this thing you just hit the button feet come out you can stand it up on its edge it doesn't take up the whole desk anymore gotcha uh, you know kind of kind of a cool idea um, and this does have UASP, um, so it mounts as a, as a SCSI type device. It can, you know, trans it can send queued commands to the hard drive that's installed. So you're going to basically get full speed out of that hard drive as if the as if the hard drive is connected straight via SATA, pretty much. Um, yeah, pretty decent, decent little system, decent little box. All right. Uh, what do these What do these things run, price wise? Uh, so the Tough Armor six bay unit is a little bit pricey, but so has every other six bay hot swap enclosure I've ever seen. I know I've I've had a few of them over the years. I know I've spent my share of probably like hundred bucks a pop on them, easy. Um, Ninety dollars it says on Amazon for which one are you looking armor? at? Uh, yeah, and I think someone said it was even cheaper than that. Uh, yeah, first commenter. Uh, said he saw it on Amazon for eighty three bucks. I'm not sure if it's still eighty three bucks. Nope. No, it's back up to ninety. Ninety dollars and fourteen cents. Um, yeah, so I mean, it does Very go specific. on sale. Um, you know, ninety bucks is still cheaper than what I've seen them for in the past. Uh, especially this one is built a heck of a lot nicer than any other one I've ever had in my system. Like mm -hmm. me personally, I've always used some form of six bay hot swap on my system for years now. Um, yeah, that's yeah, okay. And so this, you know, <laughs> it, much quieter. And I know I'm crazy because I have SSDs that I hot swap in my system, but you know that's me. Um, but obviously, you know, from the commenters that are talking about it uh, on this article, there, I'm not the only one. So, 
It's a good thing we wrote about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the external uh, IC dock thing looks like it's about $66. Seems a little bit pricey for a three and a half inch hard drive enclosure, I guess. But if you say it's well built, then. It, it is. I mean, the whole, the whole shell of it is like an extruded aluminum, kind of a taco. And it's pretty thick aluminum that's anodized. I mean, it's, it looks like you could, kind of, you could beat it up pretty badly. And I, I think it would survive a lot. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, there, there is a plastic aspect to the case, but the bulk of it is, is you know, metal. Mm. So it's well built. But you're not going to transcend it on fire? Uh, no, 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 no. Not this one? Not this one. I hear that uh, Brian has stocked up some thermite lately. I think I just threw that in the garbage. That's safe, right? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the garbage anymore. All right, on to the world of giant-ass heat sinks. Maury posted a review uh, just this morning, actually, of the Noctua 9 Series CPU cooler, which is uh, its actually two of them. It's the NHU9S and the NHD9L. Uh, one of them a little bit, I mean, a little bit smaller than the other one, I guess we'll go ahead and say. Um, I like this picture because when you look at this picture, it looks like, oh, it's just a heat sink. Like, you don't have any sense of scale or of wonder. Where's the banana? Right, exactly. Where is banana? So even with these, you know, these stock photos, they just look like heat sinks, right? You've got all the componentry here. This all looks great. What is there to even worry about? Um, my first clue was the 618 gram weight of one of them. It's about um, half the weight of Maury's usual fans. Oh, is it? So that's actually light. He's usually a kilo or more. So this one, the D9L, is the low-profile tower design for better airflow efficiency. Um, you can see it here. It, it does. It does appear basically shorter. It's shorter. It's less than an entire fan height, which is which is unique. Um, you can see the insulation process there. You can put a fan in between the heat sinks. Um, I, I do I do appreciate the style and look of these uh, these Noctua heat sinks for sure. Let's screw down here. So here it is uh, installed on a motherboard with some rather large dims. Doesn't seem to be any significant clearance issues here. So that is small. Okay, I I, I take it back. This one is actually no. These guys are tiny. This is that's that's not too bad. The L will fit in a four now, U, the S in a three U. Now what about this implementation? Well, of now I don't think you're supposed to put a. Fan on top of RAM, but why not? I mean, you're just basically passing air through this way, right? Nope, nope, sorry, this way. And, you know, sure, that memory's in the way, but who's to stop you from just moving the the fan up some? Apparently, no, nobody. Nothing's stopping you. I mean, look. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, my gosh, it's the cooling centipede. Oh, no. (laughs) The worst idea that you just put in my head. That's... That's the worst. The worst. Um, so let's take a look at this one. Again, similar implementations here. Uh, we'll scroll down to motherboard installation. Uh, and that one looks small as well. No no divided heat sink section here. Right? So you're not going to be able to get three fans installed on it, which is, pff, I guess that's okay. I feel like I use one fan. Um, Maury walks through the installation process here. Uh, the quality of the components seem to be pretty high. Uh, and let's see, where are the... Oh, I went one, two, one page too few. Switch over here to the results. Any of these stand out, Jeremy, uh, in terms of performance? 
I well, I mean, come on, they're, they're tiny little guys, so they're not going to be great for your overclocked high-end processor. But for a smaller form factor, I wouldn't say small form factor. We're still talking three or four U depth, smallish. But for smallish, they're pretty decent, and they ship with fans that are relatively quiet. Uh, you can, of course, always change them or add an extra two so it gets even louder. Cool. But uh, overall, you know, pretty much middle-of-the-road performance, as you'd expect from something this size. And for the prices that they're charging, probably a good deal for somebody who's looking for something a bit better than a stock cooler, but doesn't want to dump 100 bucks on an all-in-one water cooler or a really high-end uh, kilo-and-a-half heat sink. <laughs> kilo-and-a-half heat sink. <laughs> uh Yep, so I mean 59 bucks for the D9L and 59 bucks for the uh U9S as well. Yep. So something about those 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 multi uh, what is that beige and brown, I guess we'd say fan design that just they look high quality. I guess maybe it's just association with that brand at this point. Yeah, they um, just scream Noctua. Yeah, they definitely do. They definitely do. And one other thing uh, we're going to sneak in here that we didn't get in the rundown is Maury's review of... Uh-oh. Did I not get the right link? Uh, Maury's review of the... Uh, Corsair, Corsair Dominator Platinum DDR4 3400 memory review. So, uh, Josh, since you're on top of everything here, um, how awesome is it? I've got five <laughs> numbers for you. Okay. Five. Okay. Count give, them. Give them to me. Guess guess what they are. Uh one, two, three, four, five. No. All right. Nine ninety nine. That's uh that's five numbers, all right. That's five numbers. Yes. Yes it is. That's and if you memory. say it with enthusiasm. <laughs> nobody would ever do that. Nobody nobody <laughs> nobody in their right mind would string together that many nines. So this this Corsair uh, Platinum Dominator memory was actually so it's rated at thirty four hundred megahertz. I think that's the highest I don't know. I think it's the highest rated kind of out of box, you know, it's not the highest clocked memory, obviously. Uh and it was well, designed actually it was. Yeah, because what thirty two hundred is is the most you can get without overclocking on the X ninety nine platform. Okay, it, it, it was built kind of in conjunction with Gigabyte on their X ninety nine SOC Champion board. I believe that's why it has this adorable orange, kind of a good Cincinnati Bengal orange coloring to it as well. Um, and it plus it also apparently comes with these. Sweet, sweet ass fan coolers that you get to no, use. No, those are extra. Oh, what? You don't even get those for a thousand dollars? Hell, no! It's nine ninety nine ninety nine. Nine. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're right. It is less than a thousand dollars. And besides, <laughs> why would you care? Because I mean, the LN2 guys hit four point three six five mm. on this. Mm-hmm. Like, now, like it's now got the highest. Uh, Ranked it's it's worth clock. keeping in mind that for this nine hundred dollar or so price point, it's only it's it's only sixteen gigs of memory. You're not getting thirty two or sixty four gigs of memory. You're getting four four gigabyte DIMMs. This is really only for the crazy overclocking people out there. Um, so Mori, of course, needed to test it. Um, yeah, there's there's our uh, the. It's been a long time since I've seen memory the RAM coolers. Yeah, yeah. And I but don't those know. Those are well built. They are. And things. I think they're link compatible. I don't <laughs> I don't know how much benefit they have for the memory. Um I'm sure there's some, there's probably some small amount, but I do think they look pretty cool. 
right there. More, you've got those logos upside down, but I'll 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 let that pass. Um, but it does kind of hide the sweet orange heat sink as well, which I I think is a little bit. Uh, disappointing um you can go look at the benchmarks memory benchmarks are what they are if you look at synthetic memory benchmarks they're going to scale as you increase clock speed um and uh obviously these are going to do quite well in that regard uh and Maury corrected me the uh, fans do come with it okay okay oh good for 9.99.99 it's a bargain now uh i'm gonna click this link and see if it's still 9.99.99 and it is okay so it's actually being sold through corsair directly <laughs> not uh anybody else custom but i'll tell you that's, that's those are well built dims have you oh, yeah. have you looked at the tear down and all the crap that's on them oh, yeah, i did the is sexy it's pretty impressive i i've always liked the aesthetics of this particular design that corsair came up with as well i you just have to be a very particular type of person that's willing to spend that kind of memory money on memory that is just fast memory, right? 16 gigs of really stupid fast memory. Um, runs great stock performance. Uh, module and fan unit aesthetics are, are high. You know, customizable LED lighting capabilities with the Corsair Link integration. Obviously, the weakness would be price. Um, and actually yeah, because you know what? Two-thirds of the price, you can get 64 gigs of pretty decent fast memory. Yeah. Like, like DDR4-2400. Yeah, not going slot, is it? What? It's not going to fit in your DDR4 slot, though. Yes. Yeah, you don't oh, know. Okay. No. DDR4 2400. Like what? <laughs> that sounds like DDR3 memory prices. For 600 bucks for 64 gigs? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's right in there. It's steep. I, I, this yeah. is obviously not a memory kit we recommend for just anybody. You have to, you have to be, you have to want to get into that LN2 thing. If you want this to, uh, if you want to kind of even see the value out of these, but uh, we have a review coming up of the uh, Gigabyte SoC Champion motherboard, the X99 board. So we needed these this memory to to really get to that. Anyway, so expect that uh, to be posted by next week. Um, let's move on. I guess we're going to talk about a handful of news things that occurred this week. The Intel Compute Stick we first saw at CES 2015, which is this cute little guy right here that I'm holding in my hand. Right here, kid. Right here. There you go. Uh, it is a that looks like a USB thumb drive. It's actually an HDMI connection on the other side, and that is a full Bay Trail computer on a stick uh, that will. Uh, it has 32 gigs of memory on it. It has was it two gigs of RAM, and it will ship with Windows 8.1 with Bing for $149. And it's on pre-order now. It's 149 bucks on Newegg and on Amazon. It has a USB connection on it, like a USB Type-A connection for if you wanted to add uh, like a Bluetooth or like a like a well, like a physical keyboard or you wanted to add a webcam or something to it. It has Bluetooth, so you should you should probably plan on using Bluetooth mouse and keyboard with it. Um, it has 802.11n, uh, I think, Wi-Fi. I don't think it has AC on it, but it does have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth integrated as part of it. Uh, and it does require power through a USB, a micro USB port. Uh, most TVs have USB ports, and in my experience, testing other devices, we don't have the compute stick in yet. Testing other devices, that will be enough power. Um, I guess there's a standard coming out where HDMI will supply power. Is that right, Ken? But 
not all TVs or no TVs today actually do it. So uh, that would be a, a, a future thing. I, I, I'm curious. This is $149. You can get the Linux version, I think, for $109, which obviously has Linux on it instead of Windows. Um, but it is the full version of Windows 8.1. It's just Windows 8.1 with Bing which means the default search stuff is Bing, which I think it is anyway, and you can change it and install the browser, so it doesn't really change anything in the operating system level. Is this a device you guys find interesting, compelling, useful? Somewhat useful, but definitely interesting. I mean, to put that much power on a stick, I mean, it <laughs> sounds kind of funny, me putting it that way, and it I'm does. not going to say any other names of products that may, may or not use, but... Um, it's just neat that we have shrunk down performance to the point where half a watt is still going to get you a pretty good experience. I mean, TDP is not a factor. You plug it into an HDMI slot, and it may, in fact, power your product. I mean, we've, we've seen, what, the Chromecast and, and the Fire Stick. I, yep. I can't do Gary Busey very well, but you know what I'm talking about, that we have a lot of capability here that does not require a whole lot of power and and it's kind of seamless if you have good enough OS support because think back in the day when you're running a 300 megahertz Pentium 2 and you've got some basic install Linux and it's just smoking because you've compiled it for that you've got good processor power things just seem to work well because the entire ecosystem was built around optimizing for that much memory, that much yep. performance. And now we've got, you know, these sticks that still run at 1.2, 1.5 gigahertz, which is still damn fast, and a modern operating system that they can really optimize for that type of uh, uh, processor. I, that it's, it's really amazing to me. I, I, I want to try what we're going to get one of these in. Obviously, we're going to try it out and see, like, is this a replacement for the Chromecast, for the Kindle Fire TV type thing? Because you get access to – basically, it's a Windows PC, right? So anything that you could get access to before, you get access to here. Now, the issue is going to be the user interface, right? This, this, this in no way gives you some kind of special 10-foot interface. Um, so having a keyboard and mouse is going to be a requirement to really to really utilize this. I'll be curious to see if there's any kind of third-party interfaces that come up, you know, so you could just run uh, Amazon uh, Prime Video or Netflix or whatever that kind of stuff well, is. Well, I mean, Plex exists. Yeah, I guess you yep. could just run, install Plex on it. I mean, yeah. So you can run a Plex front end on, like, anything, like a Fire right. Stick or whatever. Because it, it's interesting because I actually, when I went to the vet today, that took all my damn dogs to the vet and it cost me $680 to oh. vaccinate and blood test everybody. Um, you could have got bought most of a memory kit for that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, and what I noticed is when I was checking out the, the computer that the, that the lady was using had an Intel nook on the visa mount on the back of the monitor. And I thought, well, this is this is one of the first times I've seen that in kind of a regular setting, right, in northern Kentucky, right, that somebody's, that somebody's and doing And you that. asked her, nice nook, and she slapped you, right? <laughs> hey, nice nook. <laughs> uh, so, but this this could potentially, it's obviously a lot lower power than a nook, but the compute stick could be another use for something like that, right? Kind of a easy uh, terminal system for that. But uh, 150 bucks, it's hard to... 
it's hard to really complain about. I, I just want to get it and play around with it. Uh, hopefully soon. It should be here. Technology. It's kind of awesome. Technology. How does exactly. it work? What am I, what, what am I, why do I not have the right thing in here? I don't know, Can't but I think Ken link. screwed up yet again. I got the wrong link. There's no link to the – the link doesn't go to the Asus MG279 thing. Yeah, but we looked at it CS, CES. You know exactly what it is. Well, I'm still you did a video on, on it, didn't we you? We did do a video on it. So here's what's new. the Asus At CES, we looked at the Asus MG279Q monitor, which at the time was an IPS – like they couldn't use the term IPS because it wasn't an LG thing, I guess. Uh, 120 hertz panel with with adaptive sync support, but it wasn't part of the initial wave of AMD FreeSync monitors, which we thought was very odd at the time. And we went back and forth with ASUS and AMD while we were at CES, kind of saying, "Hey, this monitor. What about this? What about this MG279Q? Seems like a really good monitor, high quality display." 1.2 plus or 2a right yeah it's 1.2a yeah. plus but it, that's an optional extension so even that doesn't really necessarily mean that it's that it's there so what i ended up getting out of it was asus wasn't sure if it was going to work with amd uh free sync capable gpus but amd came to us and said look we're not going to lock out anything so if as long as it supports the spec and it and it you know is properly uh utilizing the specification then it will work with ours it just may not be part of the of the FreeSync branding or program so we hadn't heard anything for a while i think they i think they told us originally it was going to be out in the first quarter which is now over yeah, um, i seem to remember at ces you were hammering robert who's in irc about <laughs> this exact topic i might have been uh so Maybe. what <laughs> happened this week is i saw actually just on amd's twitter feed that this monitor is now officially a FreeSync monitor we saw this little banner come up uh and it it actually brings up a couple of interesting things right first of all when we saw it at ces it was branded it was specifically branded a 120 hertz display now it is branded a 144 hertz display um still has 2560 by 1440 we assume it's a still the ips like or in-plane switching style technology. So you're going to get good viewing angles, good color reproduction, that type of stuff. Um, but something has obviously changed. Either Asus... See, I remember initially when we when we talked about this, I was like, well, maybe you know, Asus, because of their agreement with NVIDIA on G-Sync displays, wasn't allowed to enter into a FreeSync program. Maybe this is their way around it, was they're just going to release a monitor that happened to support adaptive sync standards and thus it would work on on radeon gpus clearly that's not the case nvidia wasn't just kind of telling them they couldn't do that or that expired or whatever something something happened right so amd and asus got together and decided that this monitor would work they changed something and now it's able to be branded as a free sync monitor i think it's supposed to be available um end of april perhaps so uh just a couple of weeks away two or three weeks away uh and hopefully we can get a hold of that and do some more testing run it through some of our processes and hopefully see some improvement in um the first over the first wave of, of free sync monitors uh because I, I want this to be a thing i want this to be good when we when we there looked at this monitor it looked great in person it's hard to tell we did a little video but you, you know you're not gonna really be able to tell the quality of a monitor while watching a 1080p camera record video of it and then play it back over YouTube compressed and all that stuff. But um, it looked great. I want it to still be at that $599 price tag, obviously, too. No rumor on whether or not that will still be the case since it did actually improve specifications somewhat. Um, 
But based on the success of the ROG Swift and the build quality of the ROG Swift, which I really, really like, I have high hopes for the MG279Q uh, as well. Any thoughts on that? Or is it just kind of wait and see? You know, it'd be <clears throat> nice if we had a single graphics card that could power three of those adequately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious. I mean, maybe we can ask Robert as well. I mean, uh, how is uh, where? What is the state of FreeSync Affinity at this point? Do you know, Ryan? No, I don't, they haven't. They haven't talked any more about um, Crossfire or Affinity changes on the on the FreeSync side yet. Um, so we're we're still waiting I mean, to hear on that. Yeah, it's honestly a, a ways to go before you can have you know your surround cockpit of uh, driving or flying or first-person shooter games that will support free sync over three monitors. But boy, that's going to be a nice thing to eventually have. Yeah, somebody in the chat room asked where we got the five ninety-nine price tag. The five ninety-nine price tag, to be clear, is what I was told at CES in January, right? So that could change. It might have changed. Uh, you know, hopefully Asus uh, sticks to it, though. We want... Hey, you know what? It's amazing about having IRC. Yeah. Free, free Sync Affinity actually works now. Oh, okay. Okay, but he says they're still working on Single the Crossfire card. driver. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Right, and that's usually the case. Most, a lot of times, Affinity users are also multi-GPU users in order to get the power to do that, so I can see how those things might uh, be connected in people's minds as well. So, yeah, I... I we we have a couple of FreeSync monitors here that I, I honestly need to spend more time with and finish up kind of formal reviews of. Um, but I also know kind of what our initial take was. I don't know if anything's going to really fundamentally change our opinion on it yet. So as soon as we can kind of maybe get the first of this second wave of display that is improving things, either with the ghosting or with the, the low frame rates or anything that they can come up with in that regard uh, is going to be a welcome change because I want this to be a success. I want there to be so many of these monitors out there just kind of flooding the market that work well with FreeSync that kind of NVIDIA has no choice but to add support for it um, in some capacity to their drivers. They say they won't. And maybe they'll stick to it. But I think if we start, if, again, if, if every monitor starts shipping with support for it out of the box uh, with FreeSync branding or not, you would think NVIDIA would eventually have to do something or maybe people would find a hack around it so that it would perform the same way as FreeSync, but you know, not officially from NVIDIA. I don't know. We'll see how all that rolls out. You know, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that nobody really commented about the speculation I put forward about actually integrated some of the integrating some of the module type functionality into a gpu i just don't think i i, I when i read that i was more confused because I, I just think all that stuff's already in there like well no because i mean if you look at the nvidia's g-sync monitor i mean obviously they've got that asic in there with plenty of memory it's actually an what, fpga still but yes it's what it's still an fpga yeah and but so yeah. i mean obviously you can compress that FPGA down with design uh, and and do the same kind of thing, but in a GPU on a 28 nanometer scale rather than a large 65 nanometer FPGA. Neither here nor there, my friend. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I yeah. think the, we we already we already we've already talked about the module versus driver debate, uh, and maybe maybe they could do some of that stuff. I just think the logic's already already there. Uh, 
uh, on the on the graphics side. You you put a module in a monitor to make it kind of graphics agnostic, dis- graphics card agnostic, and if you start implementing it in, into the hardware of the ASIC of a GPU, then it's really no different than if you can figure out how to do it in a driver. So. Hopefully, hopefully they do that. Yeah, like like that multi-sample AA. You can do it in driver. Um, mm. We're talking about variable refresh rate here, still, aren't we? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, gotcha. Just making sure we're on the same All page right. here. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, there was another display news bit here as well. Uh, a little bit less exciting, maybe, except on price wise. Dell announced the P two four one six D, a twenty four inch IPS. Display twenty five sixty by fourteen forty for three hundred and sixty nine dollars. Um, not a variable refresh rate display, but still impressive for the price point. Josh, you are kind of our low cost monitor guy. I'm low cost everything. <laughs> if you saw how I lived, you would understand. Budget Josh, as I call him, throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is this cheap enough to be interesting? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to be a single monitor guy. Uh, the quality is there. It's a good kind of panel. It's a nice resolution. The only thing is, is 24 inches with that resolution, it's, you know, it's going to be pretty fine. And like, some people like, like it, some people okay. not. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I would rather see a product at that price at about 28 inches. So this is, tw- this is a 24 inch. Cause I'm getting a little old. Yeah. I'm well, going to need bifocal soon. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's an interesting panel. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you're going to have really sharp, sharp-looking graphics. True. You can buy the Acer 27-inch 1440p IPS for 400 bucks right now. So the price isn't necessarily all that good. But if you don't want a 27-inch that, that's not, monitor, that's not a variable refresh. You're just talking about the, yeah. the standard. But if you don't want a 27-inch monitor, maybe you only have room for a 24, but still want higher than 1080p or 19. I'd be curious to compare side by side a 24-inch. WQHD and a 27-inch WQHD and see usability-wise what that is. Is the 24-inch going to be too small for that resolution? I don't think so. I don't know. It, I mean, obviously, it depends on how far it is from your face and everything. I mean, but okay, what it, resolution is that Dell tablet again? That 8-inch tablet? 25 by 14. <laughs> yeah. So but, it, but, it's, but it's using... That's using it's Android. scaling. It's Android, right? It's yeah. a totally different operating system. And we all... I think we can all admit at this point that Windows 8.1 uh, scaling is not ideal. It's better than it was in 8. It's better than it was in 7. But it's still not perfect. And uh, there's still room for improvement there. I, I run into this all the time as we keep testing all these new displays, right? We just got in a new... What is that? Is that a 12 and a half inch laptop with the WQHD... 13. Do you think it's 13? Something like that. 12 and a half inch or 13 inch uh, laptop with a 2560 by 1440. And you can't use that not scaled. You just can't. You just can't do it. So uh, you can be a little old man with your magnifying glass. I could. Yeah. Well, I need a light on it too, just in case. Exactly. Yeah, they make those little credit card ones. <laughs> What'd you say, Jeremy? There's a cell phone app for that? Yep. <laughs> That's a good idea. There actually is. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'll just show that. Oh, I'm going to use my cell phone, phone to use but... my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, my cell phone's 1440p too. Yeah. Oh no, glossy screen. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, so I guess that's it for news this week. It was a little, little, little short. Um, but don't worry, we managed to talk for 
Oh, my watch. An hour and a half. Hey, guys, I can't tell what time it is because my watch died, so <laughs> I'll just throw that on the ground. Um, Better buy an Apple one. Yeah, not so much. Um, so we're just going to jump into our hardware software picks of the week. Now, this is going to come off really odd because uh, as I guess the public knows now, I think I've talked about it on this podcast, haven't I, Ken? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have. Well, my wife is pregnant. We're uh, set to have a daughter uh, on or around August 18th. Um, so now I will be shifting from a hardware tech reviewer to a mommy blogger uh, in order to make sure I get as much free baby stuff as possible. <laughs> Because that shit is expensive. Here's a case in point. There's this company called Four Moms, and they make uh, – Ken, Ken kind of described it as, hey, there's, there's an industrial designer who became a parent, and so they made this company, right? And Wait, that looks like a, like a, a battle mech. So it kind of does, right? So watch no, it looks this. Like a blender. So this is a stroller. <laughs> this is a stroller, right? And so watch this video. This is a powered – Stroller with daytime running lights, uh, LCD control, speedometer. Watch this stuff, man. And also, uh, I'll go ahead and, and leak. Uh, tell you about the price. It's eight hundred and fifty dollars. But look at that. Look That's what not it's fake. Old. That's not fake. That's real, dog. That's. So and okay. then watch you know it. What? Is there a really fast mode to eject it into bed? Look, and it actually will fold itself back up as well. Adjustable recline. That's not a feature for strollers. Everybody has this. But look at that daytime running lights and backway <laughs> lights. It charges while you walk. Okay. Uh, it's got suspension on it. It even charges your cell phone. Uh, you know, you, it has a USB uh. port on it so you can charge your phone. And look, it's got an LCD dashboard so you can see if the baby's in there and what the temperature is and all that it's other stuff. It's got a speedometer. It does Ryan, have a speedometer. Ryan, hey, you know Ryan. what? You know what? I, I, I used a couple of two-by-fours hey, and some used lawnmower <laughs> wheels for my stroller. <laughs> oh, look at this. Look, like, this is... Look, look at this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch, look at this. Boom. Does it make Folded. the sound? I, it I, doesn't make the sound. I will make it every time if I were to get one of these. <laughs> we can make it make the sound. That's true. I, I imagine we could figure that out. So that is what $850 in stroller technology gets you today. <laughs> a self-charging stroller tell, with daytime running Tell me your wife lights. is not saying that you need this. Oh, no, no, no. This Ryan was totally my fine. This was totally yeah, my that's, fine. That's all Ryan's fault. Uh, but she already found a fault with it, so we probably won't. We, I know we won't buy it. Uh, it does not have a tray at the front of it for hey, I got a fault. maybe to hold a cup. It's $800. That's not a fault. <laughs> that's a feature. So, so okay. if anybody's listening, uh, works for the marketing companies for four moms and wants me to do reviews of stroller technology. You better got make this, a clip on tray for the front. We got this whole video studio and we got all kinds of free downtime in the studio. We just hire in a new person that focuses on editing baby stuff. And Here it it'll comes. be fantastic. What do you mean hire? They already work for the site. It's you. No, no, no. Somebody to like do all the work. Oh, hey, you know what? Oh. If, if if you're not buying a cheap <laughs> stroller and and uh, smashing your fingers in it when you're folding, you're just not getting the full experience. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't want to get too much into the baby stuff, but my wife and I have been doing the registry side of things already and it's not it's not fun to look into like baby stuff is not fun it's i found out it's like oh look this stroller with this baby seat but it's not compatible with that thing and then there's a swing and it's something called a mama roo and i don't know what's going on uh, so it's like normal two by people fours, two by fours and canvas. Computers. I'm telling you, that's a good point, Ken. Ken says it's like normal people when we talk about computers and technology and building PCs. It's like I don't know what's going on. 
but there you go. We used to have we used to have a baby seat that like you kind of pulled some handle on it and it like pulled the wheels up into it and it became a car seat. Yep. The, the new ones do like where the stroller it clicks into the stroller and then you take that part out and it clicks into a base for the car seat and no no this this was so like the child the whole never thing, moves out of this one the box. whole thing folded <laughs> into a the whole thing folded into something that could be buckled into the like you didn't have to take the kid out like it just and folded in theory the wheels locked the wheels tucked up under it I think and keeping you your kid in, in the stroller while it folds down is probably the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> But then the best oh, thing about Alan's product is that uh, if you put it in the back and you got a moonroof, you could eject the kid out. <laughs> oh, yeah. so. And then the wheels just spring out while it's in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's yeah. great because instead of saying one more word and I'm turning back, you just one more word and you're out. I'm going to keep going. just hit the button. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Jeremy, what do you have for us? Something uh, not baby-related? No, this is, this is more old guy related <laughs> uh good old games is proving yet again that they are awesome they have just started uh they're hoping to expand this library but uh if you bought any of the global editions of any of the stalker games in uh this old obsolescent form factor you can now provide them the key is that like a cd that's yes no it's vinyl you know, you know those op Optical things, uh, no illusions my cases anymore. So. Optical as illusions? long as you've got the key in there, you can give it to them. They'll say, "You know what? You own Stalker. Here you go. Download it or add it to That's your Steam awesome. library." Uh, for a couple of the Russian language ones, they've got some of the original Mountain Blades. All you need is if you can prove that you bought it by having a key. Boom, you've got it. Now the reason they're doing this is. If you had a copy of that game and it wasn't so scratched up that you couldn't use it, like, say, mine is, uh, if you tried to install it, well, the DRM company that used to validate that doesn't Mm. really exist anymore. Yeah. So it's an invalid key. Good old games are stepping up and saying, hey, we got the database. We can prove whether it's valid or not, whether it's been bought or not, and we'll act as a more official version of ModDB, where we're going to support these games. So you bought this and it ran on 2000 just fine, but good lord, good luck trying to get that to run on 10. They're working on this, and so they're going to support them to an extent. It's going to be a lot of community support, like anyone who's familiar with good old games knows. But they're really good at this sort of thing, and the idea that one day, when Steam finally goes away, there might still be somebody around to say, yes, I do have 3,000 games, and I've only played 80 of them, so I'd like to get another <laughs> couple of gra- thousand downloaded again to try and play. 20 years of Christmas deals. <laughs> <laughs> and summer deals, and Halloween deals, and damn yeah. you, Gabe. But hey, it, That's just cool. to see That's that neat. somebody's actually going to try and do this is brilliant, and hey, if you don't support good old games now, well, Here's another reason to do it. Indeed. Josh. Me. You. Me. Okay. Uh, you know, I need to replace a hard drive because I'm getting smart errors on one. But the 2 terabyte uh, HGST, which is pretty much bulletproof, only like 60 bucks. That's a lot of storage for not a whole lot of money. Is that so like 60 space it. bucks? What? 60 space bucks? Yes. Space dollars. What is that in price per gigabyte compared to the Intel SSD 750 series? 
<laughs> That's like one sixteenth. Maybe less. Probably. Can somebody More, just do math? Yes. Do I have to open up a calculator to do this? But as, Let's but as far as performance, it's like one thousandth or something. It's only two point nine cents per gigabyte. That's well true. then. Those are good. That's less that than good. the Intel drive, I think. That that is a little bit less okay. than the Intel drive. All right, all right. Just wanted to make sure. Pennies per gig. Mm-hmm. Pennies per gig. That's, that's better than I can get on the corner. I'm gonna. <laughs> Next, Alan. So uh, I had an ROG Swift. Now I have an Acer Predator XB270HU BPRZ WQHD GSYNC. Hey, hey, Alan. IPS. Yeah, man, this was your pick, young guys. man. A little bit of- There's a video you can watch. I said, young man. That was not my pick. It was. Are you sure? Yep, I did not pick that because I didn't have it yet. So, um, they did a pre-order, which uh, Josh pointed me to, and I jumped on. And uh, this is basically an ROG Swift, but with an IPS panel. It's still a very, very fast uh, response time panel, especially given that it's IPS. Um, they're, they're rating it at 4 milliseconds versus the rated 1 millisecond on the, on the Swift. Yeah, and before I did the order, I read through the whole um, Boyer Busters slash TFT Central review. They did like whole review front to back of it. They were very impressed with the panel just across the board. Um, I think they're Biggest gripe with it seemed to be that the calibration was a little bit off out of the box, but then TFT Central gives you profiles and settings to use. So I just did that, and it looks just like perfect. Um, and really, it's uh, my only real gripe with the ROG Swift was that it was it was still kind of difficult to use for desktop, like for writing. Like if I was working on, on an article and I wanted to finish it up at home, I it kind of was a little bit hard on my eyes trying to just read you know black and white text on just the TN panel and the contrast wasn't what I was used to. Um, you know, I was used to using IPS displays, right? So those are much easier on the eyes, much uh, nicer to look at. They don't kind of change color as you change the height of your chair and stuff like that. Um, and as good as the TN was on the Swift, it was still at the end of the day, a TN, right? The viewing angles are a little bit better than like a 1080p TN panel, but, um, still, you know, kind of not really where you wish it would be. So, this panel is just surprising how good the color is and the fact that it can go 144 hertz and variable refresh and all that stuff. Um, my only real gripe with this one is that just the, the build, like if you sit this panel next to a, an ROG Swift, the Swift just looks amazing. Not the, not the display part, but like the panel. It's built like a tank, right? It looks great. It's like all nice and sharp edges and angles and stuff like that, where the Acer panel is just kind of more, you know, it's got glossy plastic and fisher Pricey. Well, you know, kind of stuff to it, but the, the business end of it, the actual panel, is just uh, a, a beautiful thing to look at and game on. If only we had an outlet for you to review products on. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we have one at the office too. <laughs> That's yeah, why I only, ordered. If this only there one. was an outlet <laughs> for those reviews to be published. To be viewed by uh, the that's, public. That's, that's true. That's I'll true. think on it. I'll think on it. If I come up with something, I'll <laughs> let you guys know for sure. Okay. I'll go ahead and apologize to Alan. It was Josh's pick two weeks ago. That's why I was Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so blame it's Josh. Josh's fault. And, and I will uh, kind of caveat this. Uh, 
since yeah, but this, I couldn't afford it, it because I'm too cheap. No, no, it's not that. It's since this is a good panel, kind of like the Swift was when the Swift came out. Like it already. If I didn't get it on the pre-order, I wouldn't have been able to get one. And um, I was shocked that Acer actually took some money off on the pre-order. It was like fifty bucks off or something on the pre-order. Whereas obviously they don't have a problem selling them because they're sold out on Amazon. They're sold out on Aces or Acer's site. They're sold out like everywhere right now so you're gonna have to wait for like the next round of shipping or something and as we as we've found so far the availability curve of g-sync monitors is usually pretty poor yeah for the good ones at least so yep all right um that's gonna be it that's our that's our whole show that's it we're done uh pc uh, that's in my book <laughs> pcper.com slash podcast uh, if you missed any of this show, you can go find the MP3 downloads there as well as links to our YouTube videos. Or you just go to youtube.com slash PCPer and sign up and subscribe to us there. Uh, we did cross our 100,000 subscriber uh, mark as well. So thank you, everybody, who uh, listens there. PCPer.com slash subscribe obviously is where you go to fill up that mailing list so you know when we're doing live events. We do record it uh, at PCPer.com slash live. I'm giving you a lot of URLs. Uh, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, just go to PCPer.com all of the time, anytime, uh, to read the latest news and reviews around PC hardware. Uh, so I guess that's it. We'll disconnect here so people can get back to work, damn it, and finish some content. Damn it. Darn it. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, we will see you next week, guys. I'm Ryan Shrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrus. And I'm Alan Malventano. Goodbye. Bye-bye.